hello. Yeah, hello. <laughs> if I keep singing Adele mm-hmm. <laughs> into the microphone. What's what's new with you, Wizard PhD? <laughs> Prafflinet. Prafflinet. Um, I don't know what's new for me. Been doing some reading. Been doing some. I have been doing meetings. Some reading and meetings. I'm actually watching. Uh, a couple documentaries, right? Well, so I started watching one documentary, like, more in full. Um, but I'm, like, doing re- research in the genre of documentary to study how people tell stories in different forms. Mm. So that's one thing that I'm doing. Nice. Yeah. It was a pretty solid weekend. Pretty standard. A little cooler here. We uh, had some nice pool time on uh, Friday. Really, really nice. Yep. I don't know. The closer we get to semester starting, the more grumpy I'm going to get. Because I'm going to be like, there's nothing fun or joyous going on right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just teaching in the time. Getting ready to work a lot. So that's my life right now. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. No, I know. I started to sense it's like it's like during the school year, during the year, your Sunday, you always feel like, uh, which is funny because it's our podcast day, but like, (laughs) you know, new week. I feel similarly, but it's been kind of an extended version of that as you uh, wind up the summer because it's like, oh, this is the whole this is the Sunday of the summer for you. Well, it's because I'm very sensitive to people and their vibes. And so even though we aren't in person with anyone right now everyone's vibes is like on edge because everyone has everyone has stuff to do and is everyone's kind of anxiety just like, is cranked yeah, up across the board like, too oh, so gosh. it's tough it's a tough time yep uh i don't know boggart there's my segue okay you, know, you ready? Juan's ready no i know i know oh, okay <laughs> ready i'm ready Juan's ready all right turn to page 123 the boggart in the wardrobe Today's lesson is called A Time of Fear and Laughter. Brief synopsis. Very brief. Tried to keep it briefer. <laughs> the chapter begins with our trio in potions class, being harassed by Malfoy and Snape in combination. <laughs> Neville, yeah. Neville, no, that was fitting. Neville is also a target for the Slytherin scorn, and he leaves class timid and shaky. Later, the Gryffindors have their first defense against the Dark Arts class with Professor Lupin, who leads them to a newly found Boggart. The Boggart will take the form of whatever its target fears most, and Lupin encourages Neville to face it first as it turns into Snape. Neville manages to redress Snape in his grandmother's clothes and laugh at the Boggart. All of the Gryffindors face the Boggart, but as it comes to Harry, Lupin steps in and diverts it, leaving Harry baffled and somewhat annoyed. We're in our second day of class, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. Because we had uh, divination and McGonagall, mm-hmm. yeah. So and Hagrid, and Hagrid yeah, and care against or care against care <laughs> care of magical creatures. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So my uh, for people who are just listening audio only, we have this little mini Funko Pop of Severus Snape, and I was just like shaking him <laughs> violently, and then knocked him over. <laughs> accidentally knocked him over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Snape tried to murder. Trevor. Yeah. He tried to straight up murder him. Yeah. Like, unless, unless that was a 
uh, like intentional teaching tactic. But no, like he was basically like, okay, let's uh, put Neville on the spot. Just like the cruelty of it and just like putting the spotlight on him publicly, humiliating and shaming him like on purpose. This is the type of interaction that a bully who is masquerading as a teacher yeah. would claim is a teaching moment. Yes. And it is not. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking a lot about you and your like, not to get all like nerdy academic and whatever, but like your uh, dissertation stuff Ooh. and like thinking, thinking about like, uh, um, a dynamic that may be, might be recognized in the context of a math classroom. We just got to ignore the puppy. <laughs> got to ignore he him. Knows. He's, yeah, it's podcast. I'm, I'm listening though. I'm Let ready. me interrupt. Um, no, um, of students being the butt of jokes, and mm. it's a little too far for it to be like a casual, like, oh, you don't even know this concept, blah blah blah. Like, um, but like, it's it's actual, like you know, harm. <laughs> yeah, I can give a brief synopsis just to be clear. So I referenced something in my dissertation, which was somebody writing about uh, kind of joke styles. Mm -hmm. And they were claiming that uh, if you look at mathematics teaching, we often actually do it in the style of a particular type of joke. And he was coming from it from a com comedy angle to some extent, and was like, there are other jo jokes open that might be more care caring. Mm -hmm. It was a very interesting article mm -hmm. to me. So, Who knows what other yeah, Snape think. is like, seems to have this mission to humiliate Neville. Yeah. And so like, um, I doubt that Snape would claim it's like on purpose and a teachable moment because then he punishes Hermione for helping him. Correct. And so, like, in part, though, because I, I also was thinking about this through the context of, like, um, like a cheating perspective or whatever. Like, yep. oh, Neville should be able to perform this on his own, mm -hmm. which in and of itself, like, having that such an individualistic view of what the, the like, in terms of assessment or, like, the purposes of, like, or what it is that we do in schools, um, that as a perspective or a framing that people could employ alternatively if you view your class or if i'm going to go more broadly the world as people have different strengths and can complement each other and help each other out there's no problem here <laughs> yeah i think also jk rowling does a nice job of doing a nice exposing snape's hypocrisy in a very obvious way which is that he blames Harry and Ron for not helping Malfoy enough and blames Hermione for helping Neville too well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of uh, clearly, it is such an overt form of favoritism it makes me want to puke. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not a Malfoy, because, Malfoy or well, Snape no, apologist. Yeah. Malfoy at the end of wondering. the chapter for me, I just like wanted, I was like reveling in his, is reveling the right word? I was celebrating his pain. Yeah. <laughs> and so for in the this, previous one? Yeah, in the previous yeah. chapter. So for this chapter, him to come in doing nothing except being <clears throat> fake and like literally the two moves that he does, he has, he makes Ron trade him the materials Snape. that were cut Snape makes mm. Ron trade the like Ron was like you know angry mm -hmm. and just not chopping things precisely or whatever makes him 
trade them and then is like, oh, here, you do this too. Well, this is the this is the exposure of the sort of individualist perspective that Snape is uh-huh. putting on Neville. Yeah. Which is like, but he's not willing to say, well, Draco, sorry about your arm, suck it up, right? That yeah. is where the double standard comes in. That's why it's not a teaching moment. Yep. That's why it would be a lie if he said it was. Yep. Uh, and then we go to uh, Mr. Professor... R.J. Lupin. Yes. So I love this. I, um, I've i mentioned this before. I've only read this book once, but I love the contrast of being in Snape's potions classroom and then being in Lupin's defense It's one of the best the educational contrasts of mm-hmm. the whole series. Mm-hmm. Yes. I Yeah. It was, it was really great. Be- not just because of like the dynamics and like towards the end of the chapter, Hermione has like the summarizing line of like, he, he's a really good teacher or however she says it. But the fact that JK Rowling starred Neville in both classes and like what is possible for Neville, who is still bumbling and stressed out and nervous, like what does a, a nurturing presence, what could that um, unlock for him as a person as a wizard as someone who's trying to learn things and so I really I liked that those two side by side it is a brilliant introduction of Professor Lupin I know we've met him mm-hmm. but the we've still been like okay we got a little hint of he knows something because he gave them chocolate after the Dementors on the train uh-huh. but we haven't really seen him as a teacher yet obviously and it's a very very well executed chapter mm-hmm. it is so coherent everything that happens in it is character developing yeah and i find fascinating that by making harry not the center mm-hmm. by making neville the center we actually get a little bit of insight that something weird is happening mm-hmm. malfoy talks a little bit about it like uh, da, da, yeah. da, and then lupin well, stepping in that part, now that you bring it up, was a little odd to me that Malfoy would be so shady or like not. Uh, he's usually very overt. Like we've seen him be very direct and like abusive in like what he's how he's interacting with the other characters we've seen. But with Harry, it's a little more like secretive, uh, manipulative yep. in the background. Malfoy's sort of getting way. older in his bullying. <laughs> wiser more more mature in his (laughs) level two level Mm -hmm. three (laughs) nuanced bully um there was also a comment when they entered the like so it's the first day and lupin's like close your books and the way that um the reflection or harry's inner thoughts or whatever was about like how they had never had a practical defense against the dark arts lessons unless you counted the pixies which we've already talked about in the last season of mm-hmm, magical mm-hmm, theory of whether Lockhart which was also was, day one <laughs> yeah, intending to make it a teaching moment yeah yeah i mean lupin is clearly gonna do well it also the myth of this type of teacher is pretty fantastic right he's never taught before he comes in and like mm. day one has some fantastic practical lesson prepared that like is life-changing for all of these people happens in magic and in fake documentaries yeah that's uh well that's also like tied up with ideas that teachers are just born great and that's uh something that is in the educational world debated and i wouldn't studied (laughs) my my stance on this was 
It is clearly possible that Lupin could have a natural talent of being a teacher. It's highly unlikely that without any help, he would execute day one so well. Yep. Highly unlikely. Because <laughs> kids, we never see kids really misbehaving, right? Because if we're meant to respect the teacher, mm. then the teacher, then the students are focused. Mm-hmm. Right? At Trelawney, we're meant to sort of be like, who is this guy or who's this person? Yeah. And then like Harry and Ron are goofing off the whole time. Yeah. But we don't get, I mean, who knows if they're cracking jokes to each other. It doesn't seem like it. Why don't I talk about the boggard? It's what I looked up. Yeah. Just a little bit. So it has roots in some... Real things. It does, yeah. So I would recommend people to look at it. It has, you know, some UK roots and different things. The boogeyman, kind of a etymological connection there, uh, which is really useful because we understand that sometimes we use boogeyman as like the fear of things unseen or unknown. So a physical appearance, we hear about this a little bit now. Nobody knows what a boggart looks like because if nobody is there to see it, it doesn't take a form, but it does continue to exist because it has evidence uh, with rattling, shaking, or scratching the object. They really like Mm -hmm. confined spaces, but can also be found lurking in the woods and around shadowy corners. Uh, This is from, I didn't cite it. I think it's the wiki. Uh, the nature a boggart is a shape-shifting creature that will assume the form of whatever frightens most frightens the person who encounters it that's a quote from this chapter much like poltergeists boggarts are considered non-beings yeah there are only three known non-beings dementors which, mm-hmm. yeah we're seeing two right yeah, now yeah. <laughs> who, although they resemble living creatures are not considered alive mm. magically and are as a result a-mortal. Mm-hmm. So they can be made to disappear, but will inevitably reappear uh, with several more by its sides, usually. Much like poltergeists with mischief and dementors with depression, Bogarts seem to embody the human emotion of fear, consequently feed on other beings' fears. It's very interesting to me to think about the unicorn representing something like that, but we clearly are meant to consider it alive. Uh, But these things, not. Okay, last thing. Bogart's ability to shapeshift shows remarkable speed and fluidity, but has limitations. Firstly, being confined, if nothing else, by the size of the room it inhabits. The Bogart will scale down an otherwise gigantic form, as seen when a Bogart turned into the moon that we just saw. Secondly, though, a bogger who transforms into a magical being or object can replicate its abilities to an extent, it will be a weaker facsimile of the real thing. Mm. And we will see that coming up soon as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so something that I was um, just taking note of was the sequence of who went up in this exercise oh, and like what great. happened. And then I went to go back and look at the movie clip to see what that sequence was like. Cause it does play out differently in the movie. So we start off with Neville. <laughs> well, okay. I don't know. I'm not sure if Lupin would have chosen Neville to go first, but that's part of like Snape was already sitting in the little lounge area and, again has to has it out for neville has to like humiliate him Mm -hmm. for why what Mm -hmm. are you getting out of this right now um so then lupin's like all right neville and so neville's bogart he reveals is professor snape 
which I thought was interesting because Neville has to face his Bogart every single time he goes to potions class. All these other Bogart shape forms are not people that they're going to see every day or things that they're going to encounter every day. And so, because um, I've been reading, I was also skimming, not really get, getting in depth, but of uh, people's, well, first the comment section of like this YouTube video that I was watching uh, that had like the Bogart scene from the Wizarding World YouTube channel. And then also like a few like um, threads online discussions about it. But like people talking about like, Neville being in Gryffindor and like so this was also part of the sorting thing Neville didn't think he was brave enough to be in Gryffindor and we'll learn a lot more about Neville's tragic past but um he does have a lot of bravery in the sense of like he has to deal with a lot and a lot of it is you know kind of manifest and like he has this little he's kind of like the little the joker like the joke that people make but, like, the more that you get into him... So we can talk about Neville as he develops I've often more. wondered, uh, as J.K. Rowling, what was the timeline of evolution of Neville's backstory? Because mm. it feels like it would be it would be so fortuitous if, like, Neville evolved and just happened to be this way. I feel like she knew what he was going to be mm-hmm. very early on. Mm-hmm. Because... Or she's just amazing at, like, oh, I've written this timid character. Yeah. Let me, like, really tie him in. Well, I think we've talked about... He was in book one. The Harry Potter characters before and, like, the depth to them. And so I think that that's kind of... I mean, I feel like there's a lot that's by design. Although in the the little uh, last chapter, uh, reading about Trelawney, she didn't really know much about her backstory, but... In interviews, J.K. Rowling has talked a lot about, like, characters, who they are, what motivates them. And, like, that seems to be a very, very important central piece to her, like, uh, story development. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine that, like, so a lot of our characters, and it it, it unfolds across the entire series. So you start off with these, like... Uh, sort of archetypes of like who these types of people are like Hermione is like the nerdy know-it-all or you know and so you have these like these they're they're almost like stereotypical like just cartoonish Mm -hmm. and then the more you get to know them the more interactions you have with them you're like oh wait like there's more to it and but it also makes me wonder how hard you have to try to do something like that because of what you mentioned last week about like as humans we like fill in the blank the gaps Mm -hmm. and we kind of make it we make it make sense because that's part of what we do i think it's the benefit of the pacing of seven long books Mm -hmm. because what does it take to give a character depth in a fictional story you have to have them encounter different things Mm-hmm. Right, the scene is the is the angle at which you are viewing this three D object. If all the scenes are the same, they're going to seem very two D. Mm-hmm. This is like kind of easy fiction reading, right? Stuff that you're just meant to consume, no problem. It's mm-hmm. like the simple sort of like hero CIA agent type stories and stuff like that, where you you be basically in the same setting every time, and you know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. But she, this is a good example of like what it takes to get a k- deep character. 
you have to give them these scenes where you get this angle on them, like Harry's being harassed or Harry's being like held up as a hero or Harry's finding out about whatever. And so we get that, you know, to a lesser extent with some of these side characters, Neville being a big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So after Neville, so we have Snape, and then he turns into Snape wearing his grandmother's outfit. (laughs) Which, watching the scene in the movie... Uh, having Alan Rickman just like it just it always makes it's me really laugh. Good. It's, it's so a very good, good scene. Yeah. Um, and then next up in the book we have Parvati who has a mummy shape form. Okay. Um, it unravels, kind of like ties the feet up, falls over. Then you have Seamus with the banshee, um, and then you move on. Oh, so Seamus was kind of like a turning point because the banshee then like can't scream, so it was a little. Because uh, the the exercise was to like, how do you make it like funny? Um, I don't know if that would make me laugh at it. It's still whatever. But then it kind of like gets confused. Then mm-hmm. Dean is called up with a severed hand. So I don't know where these kids like w- like. Well, actually, part of it is this is kind of the point though. Is like Neville's Bogart shape form is a real human that he interacts with constantly, and then these other things like. Okay, you're not going to see a mummy, a banshee, a severed hand. Most likely ever, it's like kind of the, like more of the monster under your bed type. Like you're scared of something like that. Uh, Run with the giant spider comes next uh, and then has the vanished legs, which from the book description made me feel like the legs literally disappeared and it's just a little, like little rolly body because then it rolls over. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, oh, I didn't even say like the, the movie list, but the movie, it's like the little roller, roller skate things. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, the legs are gone kind of because it falls over. Then it rolls over to Harry, but then Lupin's kind of like, hey, like over here. And so we don't see what happens because it doesn't like uh, settle in front of Harry. And so then we have Am this. Am I mistaken that in the movie... It starts to transform into a Dementor. Um, yeah, so let me just finish. So Lupin oh, ends bad. with a silver, silvery white orb is how it's described, and he turns it into a cockroach, and mm. then it closes with Neville, who is able to dissolve it, um, which I, I liked that whole... It went, like, full circle, and so then Neville... And this is ultimately the, 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 con- the other side of the day for Neville is that he is the successful one who does it. Um, so in the movie, though, we start with Neville, um, and then we go to Ron next. Actually, that's with the spider. And then we go to Parvati, who's, it's not a mummy. It's a snake, a giant snake. She turns it into the little, yeah, the, the little jack-in-the-box. Yeah, that's always the The jack-in-the-box thing, yeah. Thing, yeah. <laughs> and that one, and so I, I don't know. I like the movie version because, it, well, it's, it's very different, though, because I, so I don't like the movie version because Neville doesn't turn out to be the hero. It's still, it's very it's much centered on Harry. <laughs> well, because the point of that scene is you have the jack in the box and then Harry walks up. He's like ready to fight it. Lupin's just uh, casually on the side eating an apple. And he's he, like, he's not concerned. Lupin's not concerned at all and, until it starts to change shape 
because then mm. it kind of like the scene itself slows down. There's music and whatever. Yeah, I can then it visualize turns it. into an actual Dementor, and that's when Lupin runs in front of it Harry. Does turn into a Dementor. Put himself completely in front of him. Okay. It turns into a literal moon scene because you're trying to in a in a visual medium communicate as much information as you can. Uh, to like speed up the pace a little bit. That was my memory as well. I didn't remember that in the book we would not find out in this scene that Harry's Bogart is a Yeah, I didn't remember that either. And I think there will be some interesting discussions later about like why Lupin stepped in and it's not because he thinks that the Dementor will be the The, Bogart. Yes, Uh, or the Bogart will be the Dementor. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... J.K. Rowling, or I don't remember, I think she has an entry on Bogarts on Wizarding World. And apparently, for the vast majority of witches and wizards, and you can go, I think, to a Harry Potter wiki because it has like the known Bogart forms for certain characters. So, like, um, going to Wizards Unite, like, the Parvati one is the movie because we have the snake that turns into the Jack in the Box. The Ron one is the movie one, Spider and the Snake. Uh, we also have, well, we have Harry, but we also have um, the Hermione, and she, later on, will find out that her Boggart is McGonagall, telling School her that finger. she failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, but she, J.K. Rowling said that the vast majority of witches and wizards, their Boggart shape form is Lord Voldemort. And so there's like an entire table of people <laughs> who's, Bogarts are Voldemort and so it so again like it I'm just going back to the point of like all of these things like you're not going to encounter it Hermione might encounter uh McGonagall telling her that she is disappointing or a failure but like and so I feel like those are um there's like different I don't know it's hard to talk about fear because like obviously you're afraid of things but there are some things that seem that are more likely to happen to you than others that I don't know yeah I think what you're saying or I wonder if this is what you're saying some for some of these people the bagger is the true form of like a boogeyman like it's not really something that they encounter Mm -hmm. it's just in their mind that it is their greatest fear Mm -hmm. but for somebody like Neville is an everyday encounter. Now, whether he dials Snape up more in mm-hmm. his, as an imagination, I'm not sure. But it's that is a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that, that Neville faces his greatest fear in school, in a professional setting, mm-hmm. almost every day. Yeah. Well, because we've talked about, well, I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast in depth about anxiety, but like that's kind of... Uh, part of it is that like uh, this idea of like oh well I mean Ron I guess can encounter spiders not like giant massive spiders but like it doesn't seem the same as like I don't know I didn't read the entire article and it makes me think that there's probably something somewhere talking about whether Bogarts can change over time for somebody almost certainly yes right I think we it must, of course, because for Harry, it becomes a Dementor, but it wouldn't have if he didn't know what they were. So it's quite interesting to think about, like, I wonder if by the end of year five, Neville's Bogart wouldn't be Snape, but maybe Bellatrix or something like that. Mm. It's uh, The Bogart is a fantastic plot device. It's really, really wonderful. 
to introduce something magical that is like a boogeyman because you you get to give insight into all these different characters in an instant. Like, what is their great fear, right? Yeah. Because we get a little insight into Ron. He says he hates spiders. Mm-hmm. But it's his greatest fear, and he confronted it in book two. So we get an insight mm-hmm. into his bravery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of the chapter also. Well, there's, there's actually um, a few things that happen. One is... Uh, about Hermione's bag. Well, Hermione being at the, the books, the stairs, like further along when they thought that uh, she was behind. And I actually like that exchange because, well, I like the ending, even though it feels like it kind of ends abruptly or just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. Because Lavender Brown is like, I wonder why Professor Lupin is afraid of uh, prophecies or, or prophecy orbs. And it's like, oh, wait. Because well, it, it only describes it as a silvery white orb. Right. That's the only way it's described. Yeah, I jumped the gun a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. And then um, the Harry and Ron are kind of trying to talk to Hermione or whatever. And she's like ahead of them, her bag tears open all these books spill out and ron because ron is the one who keeps questioning her and he's kind of like wait a second because he questioned her about her schedule being like you can't take all these courses there at the same time and like what do you mean we only have these classes today why are you carrying these books and actually in the film it's in the scene in the defense against the dark arts classroom they're um they're all staring at the bogart cabinet and lupin is like in a monologue (laughs) actually lupin in the movie in this scene is not that nurturing to Neville. And I think, well, it's not necessary because that's not the point of this scene. It's not to put the spotlight on Neville. He's just kind of, um, the point is more about like what is revealed when you find out that Harry's Boggart is a Dementor and then Lupin's is the moon and you're kind of like, oh, what's this? But there's this panning scene where it has most of them. It's actually really cool because it the camera first starts at the Bogart cabinet and it's a reflective surface so you can see the reflection or no or it's like something that's like a reflection and you can kind of see the outline of all the students and Hermione's not in that shot and then they do like a panning <laughs> and it goes around and you think that like oh because Hermione just pipes up maybe she was just out of the sight of the and she just says like oh the Bogart is a shapeshifter so there's obviously something going on with Hermione, which they do say something to that effect. But um, it's and usually I hate stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, I wonder what this it's is so like on in, the nose. in Win- Wizards Unite. But the way I don't I don't feel that way with this. It feels more subtle. And I don't know, like there are subtle ways to do stuff like that. Well, I think because we can't see it visually. Yeah. It has to be a little on the nose. Otherwise, we wouldn't know that she's showing up in these weird ways, you know. Yeah. But towards the end, uh, Mm. there's this question of like, oh, well, what would the Bogart be for you, Hermione? Like uh, just getting a nine out of ten or whatever. But I think that I, I like the way that it closes in that way because so Hermione's a little upset. She's already saying that he's a good teacher, but she was kind of like sad that she didn't get to do it. Um, But it kind of like subconsciously or you know not very directly ask the question of like what would your bogart be like what would what would it turn into sort of thing i don't know if it's meant to be that sort of reflective exercise but i think that it's kind of an interesting thing i I wonder if jk rowling as a writer is just incredibly good at uh 
like maybe she's writing the chapter and she's like, okay, obviously Harry isn't going to confront the Bogart. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be interesting if another one didn't also like, mm-hmm. let me also have Hermione not do it because maybe people will be one, like you're saying, yeah. who is the most interesting non Harry character to have to wonder what their Bogart would be. Yeah. Probably not Ron, probably Hermione. Yeah, and it, I think I like it also because Ron's response, I think it's Ron who says it, of like, oh, well, not getting a perfect score would be Hermione's Bogart, is again pointing to the fact of like how she is, how she can still be seen as this caricature when there's probably much more depth to her. And even just the idea of like McGonagall, um, like scolding her or telling her that she's a failure is something it's not like the literal thing itself it's like something deeper and so a lot of these things well that's kind of why like i was i was slightly disappointed that a lot of these other students were like a mummy a banshee a severed hand like that doesn't tell me anything about who you are although i guess it doesn't have to but um it also makes me wonder about Things like trauma or things like maturity or things like like stuff that you've gone through for you to be like scared of or to have a fear towards. I'm not trying to rank people's fears, but like there's something about like having uh, not not being afraid of a mythical thing (laughs) or like a thing that you've never seen before and something that is like possibly prohibiting you from doing something else or being somebody else or acting in different ways. One thing I find really interesting is um, Harry, when we find out what his Dementor is, uh, his Bogart is, wouldn't have been able to tell Lupin what the Bogart would turn into, right? So, like, Neville knows it will be Snape. Mm. Mm-hmm. Ron kind of seems to yeah, know was, it's going to be spiders so, yeah, because they're they like planning it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That's, uh, as I'm thinking about it, seems incredibly unrealistic. Now, I mean, like, if it's magically going to actually show you what you're most afraid of, that is usually, I think, different than what you actually are most afraid of. Yeah, because it reminds me of the Mirror of Erised. That's what I was thinking, yeah. exactly. That they are very similar uh, devices mm-hmm. and but the mirror because i was going to say the mirror is more insightful to the viewer right like they come up and they don't necessarily know what they'll see like i don't think ron would have said oh it would be me being the greatest weasley child mm-hmm. but then it shows him as this person like achieving all these things mm-hmm. i don't think probably Harry might have been able to to vocalize something similar but i think uh it's i hadn't ever really considered what it means to claim that all of these children would be able to plan what their greatest fear out at is accurately yeah so it makes me wonder of like the so the mirror is more of a device that is out of your control whereas right. the bogart i feel like i don't i don't i didn't look up like if there's any sort of like theories or connections to it but it seems like it's connected to the person so like what you manifest in your brain 
subconsciously or, you know, intentionally is projected in front of you. And so, like, maybe Neville's deepest fear, because that's also another thing, like, as I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, like, me knowing Neville as someone who knows the stories, like, I can't believe that Snape is his Bogart and not something else or, you know, like, that's what I was thinking. It almost wonders, it almost makes me wonder for both the mirror Mm -hmm. and the... Uh, Boggart, maybe they have it sort of in magical theory a little bit wrong, right? Podcast name, uh. which is it should be restated not as your greatest desire or your greatest fear, but your current greatest desire and your current greatest fear. Like that, that, that yeah. it needs to be a temporal side to it of like you could change and you could change rapidly, and the thing that you would see would change. Yeah, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit as well because from this wiki article, and I don't know when this comes up, but because I remember in book seven when Harry's in King's Cross with Dumbledore and they're talking about the mirror. On this wiki, it said that Dumbledore's Bogart was Ariana dead in front of him. And so... I don't know. I don't imagine that changing and, and, and or be I don't know. I don't know because I guess I didn't uh, I didn't really look into to see if if like surely they must change. Otherwise, like, you well, here is the, the example. If Harry like would have Lupin, encountered a boggart oh, two weeks ago, it wouldn't be a Dementor because he wouldn't know that they exist. Right. Or if Neville did before he went to new Snape, it wouldn't be Snape. Mm. So it must change. Yeah. And it seems True. like it can change in an instant, right? Before Harry pre-Dementor, Harry after Dementor, new Boggart. I guess another way to put what I'm saying about Dumbledore is that is connected to like the the comment I said before about trauma or like real like depth right. to your fear, and it's something that like deeply affects you so much that I'm saying like it's highly unlikely that <laughs> Dumbledore's Boggart would change from something so strong. Um, it's amazing to obviously several books in advance to know about Dumbledore in this way, but it gives us maybe great insight into Dumbledore because I was thinking like, no way. What? That doesn't make any sense as a greatest fear, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's backward looking. It's past. Yeah. And fears to me are future oriented generally. It might be based off what has happened, but if there's not a chance of it happening again, I think it's hard to be afraid of it. Yeah. But it may speak to the fact that Dumbledore doesn't experience any obvious fears. Because to me, like, I don't know. If Dumbledore's... If I had to guess what Dumbledore's fear is, <laughs> in a coy way for our people who are reading for the first time, would be something to do with what is... What could happen in the next four years or four books of like to Harry or with Voldemort or whatever it might be? Yeah. So I think I was thinking of like different ways when I was mentioning fear before as like something that is prohibiting you from being who you can be like Mm. that's I was thinking more along the lines of baggage. So like if because there was also in these threads I was reading people talking about like, well, what if your fear is something that's not 
of a physical form like but i think that it can still take a physical form to invoke that fear of whatever it is so for if i'm going to say like so an event that happened in the past that you can't let go probably represents something else or elicits something else that might not be like and the closest thing to make you feel that fear would be to show you something that is like connected to that like whatever that is like this sense of like lack of control or inadequacy or whatever it is i would imagine that like those things uh, play out representation of it yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. maybe maybe not that's fascinating it really is because so like when i think about like why fear is framed as a bad thing because i was also kind of i was trying to find like uh more of i was looking mythology but that was the wrong uh like search term i was looking more of like cultural boogeyman like that's what i was looking for because there are different instances across cultures of this idea um and but then i was going through this like mythological like god gods of fear type thing and they're actually two greek gods of fear one is more of the sense of like dread and then the other is more of the sense of panic and so people were also debating of like why are there two like how are they different or complementary or what does that mean and so there's like Mm. and so that's what i'm like when i think about like why why would fear when from a like evolutionary perspective or biological perspective might be rationalized as like oh so that for survival or whatever Mm. but Um, why is fear framed in a bad way and one way is that it because of this like confining that it can do to like and because it's because sometimes fears can not be um, in front of you and so it's this like constructed thing that can be limiting and so I don't know. It's there's a lot. There's no, a lot happening. There. I mean, this is this particular chapter. In fact, the concept of the bogger could be a whole season of this <laughs> because I, I think it's it is at the heart of sort of telling a story of. I mean, like with people, and so like, what does it mean to be afraid? What does it mean to have a greatest fear? What does it mean for that fear to change? What does it mean for that fear to be something you see frequently? What does it mean to be mythical, mm-hmm. uh, unlikely? There, there's so much to it. It's uh, what do all these other people, what would their bogart be? What would my bogart be? Mm-hmm. Like what to how does it affect me? It's really quite interesting. I think it's somewhat similar to the mirror. I mean, they're great. They're great plot devices as magical objects mm-hmm. because what is their magic? Their magic is in the mirror quite literally to be a mirror right they're both mirrors of parts mm, of mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. different than the dementor and different than the poltergeist uh very very cool yeah i mean i love i have always loved the bogart i think that it's like the idea that it's like an essentially a harmless household pet most of the time or like not a pet a household uh intruder most of the time like it's in a wardrobe and you can just get rid of it and it's fascinating and then like books later we'll see like 
a completely different character confront a Bogart in like a very tragic way, Molly Weasley. And, yeah, I was thinking of Molly because I was trying, yeah. I was like, oh, I should have used Molly as a better example because we've been introduced to Molly and her Bogart is all of her, like her family members being killed. And so I can just take that as a case and be like, okay, so how does that drive Molly's person exactly (laughs) so like what she does how she acts how she as we talk about this i feel like i need to write down what the bog art is for every one of the characters i ever put into a story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right like i mean in the ways i do but uh it's more it's very explicit like what is the bogger what is the mirror Mm -hmm. avir said because it's like these are going to shape who they are yeah and molly's bogger is so it's it, it is exactly what it should be i mean mm-hmm. it's yeah yep harry's bogger is uh confusing and we'll get to that <laughs> one <laughs> but it's a great chapter yeah. yeah yeah anything else for you uh well the last thing that crossed my mind well because we had snape and i don't know why he was there in in the, the teacher's lounge yeah, the yeah. teacher's lounge just hanging out eating lunch so it seemed though that like the teachers knew or that Lupin, he said that he like asked the teachers to like leave the bug art. And right. Because they could deal with it probably. So it's probably um, n- not unreasonable to imagine that Snape knew what was about to happen in that space, like with the bug arts and didn't want to be. What the lesson was going to be. Yeah. And yeah, didn't yeah. want to be in the frame no. of. Uh, Snape would never like. Stick can you imagine? Uh, I don't even know what Snape's bogart specifically would yep. be, but I feel like it would probably have to be some revelation that we're not ready for. Just kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Like, I was gonna say something, but you said uh, we shouldn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great chapter. Yeah. Great chapter. All right. Cool. Sounds good. Okay. Until next time, Lon's ready. ready.